This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Blessed Sunday and Advent to you. Um, I'm hoping you've been enjoying the this journey through the Advent homilies of St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Today we go over through the sort of a key point in the incarnation of our Lord, and that would be, of course, the angel Gabriel and his salutation to the Virgin. And in this, he goes over Gabriel, what his name means, what his role in all of this was, of course, and, of course, the veneration we give to the, to the Blessed Virgin and the dignity she possesses and how the it's really the humility that is... For, that she possesses that is key to understanding her role in all of salvation history. He really does go over things we don't take much time to think about typically with talking when we talk about the incarnation whenever we do the joyful mysteries of the rosary and we meditate on these things it often we probably aren't contemplating this too much. So the next time you pray your joyful mysteries which in Sundays in Advent is a joyful mystery day instead of the glorious mysteries, at least traditionally, contemplate the humility of the Virgin and how it could be more instructive in your own life. That's my recommendation. On the Ita Misa Est, Advent Sermon of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the Holy Abbot St. Bernard's preface to his Praises of the Virgin Mother. I am in straits. My devotion bids me write. My occupations hinder me. Nevertheless, as sickness prevents me at present time from following the community exercises with my brethren, I will not spend uselessly that little leisure which I contrive to find by shortening my night's rest. Besides, it is a pleasure to me to attempt what has been for so long in my mind, namely, to speak or write something to the praise of the Virgin Mother, upon that portion of St. Luke's Gospel which contains the history of the Annunciation of our Lord's birth. And while I devote myself to this work, so long as the brethren over whom I am placed, and whom it is my happy duty to serve, do not find me less ready to minister either to their pressing needs, or even to their reasonable demands upon my time, I think none ought to object to my thus satisfying my devotion. The Praises of the Virgin Mother the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. What well, can the evangelist's intention in mentioning in this text so many proper names? I think it is that he would not have us listen carelessly to what has been at such he has been at such pains to relate. He names the messenger sent, the Lord by whom the virgin to whom he is sent, the spouse of the virgin, with the race of each, their city, too, and country are pointed out by name. And why all this explanation? Can the evangelist have said anything superfluous? By no means. If not a leaf from a tree, nor a single sparrow falls to the ground without a cause and knowledge of our Heavenly Father, can I suppose that one superfluous word would fall from the lips of the holy evangelist, especially when he is giving the history of the word incarnate? Certainly I cannot. Full as every word of divinest mystery, redolent of sweetest heavenly perfume. To him, that is, who searches it diligently and knows how to draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty stone. For in that day the mountains dropped down with sweetness, and the hills flowed with, uh, with milk and honey. 
When the heavens dropped down dew and the clouds rained the just one, then the joyous earth was opened and budded forth a savior. Then the Lord gave goodness and our earth yielded forth her fruit. On that mountain of mountains heaped up and and fat mercy and truth met each other, justice and peace kissed. In that day, too, one mountain was especially blessed among mountains, namely the evangelist himself, when with mellifluous eloquence he made known to us the beginning of our long-desired salvation, like some delightful south wind bringing delicious spiritual perfumes caught from the rising sun of justice. Would that God now also send forth his words and let them flow to us. May his spirit breathe. May the evangelist's words be intelligible to us. May they become to our hearts more desirable than gold and precious stones. May they be sweeter to us than honey in the honeycomb. The angel Gabriel was sent from God. I do not think that this was one of the lower angels who, for one cause or another, are often sent to earth. And I gather it from his name, which is interpreted strength of God. Because also he was not sent as is usual from a superior spirit, but from God himself. For this reason it is said, sent from God or appointed by God, lest we should suppose that God had revealed his design to anyone before the Blessed Virgin. Among all the blessed spirits themselves, Gabriel alone was accepted, for he alone was found worthy of his name and embassy. The name befits the messenger. For could Christ, the power of God, be more fittingly announced than by him who bore a similar name? Nor is it unbecoming or unsuitable that the Lord and his annuncio would bear the same title. For though the name is alike, the cause for which it is given differs. Christ is called the strength or power of God in quite another sense than the angel. In the angel it is merely an appellation. In Christ it expresses a substantial quality. Christ is called and is the power of God. Stronger than the strong-armed, the prince of this world, who kept his goods in peace. He came down upon him, waged war against him, with his own arm bore away the spoils. The angel is called the strength of God either because he had merited the prerogative of officially announcing the advent of the power of God, or in order that he might strengthen and support the virgin, by nature timid and bashful, whom the novelty of the miracle might terrify and overpower. This he did when he said, Fear not, Mary, thou hast found grace with God. It is not unreasonable to suppose, though the evangelist does not mention the angel's name, that this was the same archangel who strengthened and confronted Mary's spouse, a humble and timorous man. Fear not, Joseph, he says, son of David, take unto thee Mary thy wife. Gabriel, therefore, was most fitly chosen for this work, or rather the name was imposed because of the embassy. The angel, therefore, is sent from God. Whither? To a city of Galilee called Nazareth. Let us see if, as Nathaniel says, anything good can come from Nazareth. Nazareth is interpreted flower. The seed of this flower seems to me to have been cast from heaven upon earth by the heavenly words spoken, and the promises made to our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of this seed it is written, Except the Lord of hosts had left us seed, we had been as the two cities destroyed in the Old Testament. This seed flowered in the wonders displayed in the going forth from Egypt. It flowered in the signs and figures that marked the journey of the Israelites through the wilderness to the promised land. It flowered in the visions and prophetical declarations of the prophets, in the establishment and the order of the kingdom of the priesthood before the coming of Christ. But Christ is rightly understood to be the fruit of this seed and flower. For David says, The Lord will give goodness, the earth shall yield her fruit. And again, Of the fruit of thy womb I will set one upon thy throne. In Nazareth, therefore, Christ's future birth is announced, because when the flower is budded we have hope that the fruit will follow. But as in the formation of the fruit the flower decays and drops off, so with the appearance of the truth in the flesh the figures passed away. In this the apostle says, These things happen to them in figure. 
Hence, Nazareth is called a city of Galilee, that is, change or passage. He who have the fruit see these flowers have passed away, and that even while they seem to flourish, their future decay was foretold. For David says, In the morning he shall grow up like grass. In the morning he shall flourish and pass away. In the evening he shall fall, grow drier and wither. In the evening, that is, in the fullness of time, when God sent his only son made of woman, made under the law. Behold, he says, I make all things new. Hence it is again written. The grass is withered and the flower is fallen, but the word of the Lord remaineth forever. I think there is no doubt that the word is Christ, and Christ is the good fruit that remaineth forever. But where is the grass that withered? Where the flower that fell off? Let the prophet answer. All flesh is grass, and all the glory thereof as the flower of the field. If all flesh is grass, the carnal Jews were grass, and did not the grass wither when the people, devoid of spiritual unction, adhered to the dry letter? And did not the flower fall off when they no longer glorified in the law? If the flower did not fall, where is their kingdom, their priesthood, their prophets, their temple? Where are these wonders in which they were wont to glory and to say, How great things have we heard and known, and our fathers have told us? And again, how great things he commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children. To Nazareth, a city of Galilee, to this city the angel Gabriel was sent from God. To whom? To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Who is this virgin so reverently saluted by the angel? And so lowly as to be espoused to a carpenter. Beautiful commingling of virginity with humility. That soul is in no small degree pleasing to God, in whom humility commends virginity, and virginity adorns humility. But how much more worthy of veneration is she, in whom fecundity exalts humility, and childbearing consecrates virginity? Virginity is a commendable virtue, but humility is an indispensable one. The first is of counsel, the latter of precept. Of the one it is said, he that can take, let him take it. Of the other, unless you become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. To the one reward is offered, the other is exacted under a threat. Again, we can be saved without virginity, not without humility. A soul that is to deplore the loss of virginity may still accept a, be acceptable to God by humility. Without humility, I will venture to say that even the virginity of Mary would not have been pleasing to him, the divine majesty. Upon whom shall my spirit rest, if not on him that is humble and peaceable? He says not on the virgin, but on the humble. If, therefore, Mary had not been humble, the Spirit would not have rested on her. If the Holy Spirit had not rested on her, she would never have become fruitful, for how without him could she have conceived of him? Therefore, she herself testifies in order that she might conceive of the Holy Ghost, God the Father regarded the humility of his handmaid, rather than her virginity. And if by her virginity she was acceptable to him, nevertheless it was by her humility that she conceived him. Hence it is evident that it was her humility that rendered even her virginity pleasing to God. A proud virgin, what can you say? Mary forgets herself in her virginity and glories only in her humility, and you, neglecting humility, presume to, pr to pride yourself on your virginity. She says, he ha had regard to the humility of his handmaid. And who is this handmaid? A holy virgin, a prudent virgin, a devout virgin. Are you more chaste than she? Are you more devout? Is your purity more pleasing than the chastity of Mary, that without humility you deem it sufficient for you, when without humility her virginity could not find favor. The more honorable the gift of chastity, the more the injury you do it in tarnishing its beauty within you by an admixture of pride. It would have been better for you to not be a virgin than to be puffed up and grow insolent by virginity. Virginity is not for all, it is for the few, and there are a few among the few that unite humility with virginity. Wherefore, if you can only admire the virginity of Mary without being able to imitate it, study to cope 
copy her humility, and it will be sufficient for you. But if with virginity you possess humility, then you are great indeed. But in Mary there is something more wonderful still. It is the union of fecundity with virginity. Since the beginning of the world, it would not have been heard that a woman was at once a virgin and mother. And if you consider of whom she is the mother, how great will be your admiration of her exalted virginity. Do you not feel as if you can never sufficiently praise it? Do you not judge, and rightly, that she who has the God-man for her son is exalted in greatness above all the choirs of angels? Did not Mary confidently call the God and Lord of angels her son, saying, Son, why hast thou done so to us, which the angels would have presumed thus to speak? It is sufficient for them in some great that while by nature they are spirits by grace, they are made and called angels, as David says, who maketh his angels spirits. In confidently calling God her son, Mary acknowledges herself mother of that majesty, whom the angels serve with reverential awe. Neither does God disdain to be called what he vouchsafed to be. For the evangelist adds shortly after, and he was subject to them. Who was subject? God to man. God to whom the angels are subject. God, whom the powers and principalities obey, was subject to Mary, and not only to Mary, but to Joseph also, for Mary's sake. Consider then and choose which you will not most admire, the gracious condescension of the Son or the surpassing dignity of the Mother. Both are amazing, both are miraculous. That a God should obey a woman is humility without example. That a woman should command the Son of God is a dignity without parallel. In the praise of the virgins we hear that wonderful verse, They shall follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. But what praise think you is worthy of her who leads the way before him? Learn, O man, to obey. Learn, O earth, to be subject. Learn, O dust, to be submissive. The evangelist, speaking of your Creator, says, He was subject to them. That is, of course, to Mary and Joseph. Blush, O dust and ashes, and be ashamed to be proud. God humbles himself. And do you exalt yourself? God submits to man. And do you desire to domineer over your fellow men? In so doing, you prefer yourself to your Creator. Would that when such thoughts assail me, God would vouchsafe to make me the same reproach as to his apostle. Get behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things which are of God. As often as I seek distinction among men, so often do I dispute the preeminence with my God. Then assuredly I savor not the things that are of God, since of him it is said he was subject to them. If, O man, you disdain to imitate the example of your fellow man, you cannot find it denigrating to follow that of your Maker. If you cannot follow him whithersoever he goeth, at least follow him in the most safe road of humility. For from this straightforward path, should ever even virgins deviate, they will not follow the Lamb whithersoever he go. The Lamb is followed by the innocent soul, and by the once sin-stained but now humble and repentant soul. By the proud virgin, likewise, he is followed, but assuredly not whithersoever he goeth. The penitent cannot rise to the purity of the Lamb without spot. The proud soul cannot descend to the meekness of him who, not before his shearers only, but even before his executioners, was dumb and opened not his mouth. It is safe for the sinner to follow in humility than to be proud in virginity, because the sinner by his humility makes satisfaction for and purges away his impurity, whereas the purity of the other is polluted by pride. Happy was Mary in whom neither humility nor virginity was wanting. A glorious virginity, which fecundity honored, but did not contaminate. A singular humility, that a fruitful virginity elevated, but did not destroy. O incomparable fecundity, in which virginity was associated with humility. Which of them is not wonderful, incomparable, unique? In pondering them, we are at a loss to decide which is the more worthy of admiration. The virgin's fecundity, the mother's integrity, or the ad adorable dignity of her offspring. Or again, 
that in which sublime elevation she still preserves her humility. Can we be surprised that God, who is wonderful in his saints, should also show himself wonderful in his mother? Admire ye married and reverence her integrity and incorruptible flesh. Ye sacred virgins, behold the astonishment this fruitful virgin. Let all Christians imitate the humility of the mother of God. Holy angels, honor the mother of your king. He is at once our king and yours, the redeemer of our race, the, resp the resplenishment of your city. To him whom with you is so glorious, with us so humble, be rendered for ages without end, both by us and by you, the reverence due to his dignity and the honor and glory worthy of his infant condescension. Amen. I hope this sermon of St. Bernard of Clairvaux does help you today and through the rest of your Advent journey, especially as we now are closing in on Christmas. Christmas is not far away. And thinking about Advent and thinking about humility and the dignity of the Virgin and the role of the angels in all of this, as we are now at the halfway point in Advent, give or take, Perhaps we should really meditate more on higher things than maybe we have. It's easy once you get to the middle of Advent for our whatever our sacrifices may have been to fall by the wayside a little bit or become less than important. Let's refocus. Let's think about the humility of the Virgin and how we could have more humility in our own lives. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments. Please like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As to sharing this on social media, that helps a lot as well. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.